Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. So this morning, our our text will be Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13. And the question for us is why? Why Christ-centered preaching? That is at the heart of everything else that we do. It's really the, the center of a ministry is what drives that ministry. What is important about every other aspect? Scripture is Christ-centered. History is Christ-centered. With the Old Testament pointing forward to the coming of Messiah, and the New Testament, we see Christ is revealed in the Gospels. He's preached in the book of Acts. He's explained in the epistles. And he's expected in Revelation. History is Christ-centered. Scripture is Christ-centered. And so we desire to be Christ-centered as a people. In the call to worship today, you heard the scripture read, Psalm 138, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you, listen to this, have exalted above all things your name and your word. Your name and your word. So what have we done this morning even in singing? Together we have corporately exalted the name of Christ, the name of the Lord, and his word. That was the last song that we just sang, that when the Spirit speaks, well, you know, have you ever heard someone or maybe you've said, I just wish God would speak to me? Right here. Yes. It's his word. He's revealed himself in Scripture, and so we examine his word. The writer of Hebrews was addressing the problem in the first century that many of his readers were struggling with. They had grown up in a religious orthodoxy. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition, and maybe your parents and grandparents, you did all of the things that, that you were supposed to do. You checked all the boxes, and you went through all of the steps required but you still recognize something is missing. So those who were raised in Judaism, then Jesus is crucified, Jesus is ascended, the church begins to grow, and in the first century, they've come under the teaching of the gospel, but they had not yet come all the way to faith. And so the gospel in and of itself is so simple. There there are not a lot of things, you know, that go along with the gospel. We have two ordinances given to the church. One is baptism and one is communion. And those are given to us that portray the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But other than that, you can meet as a church in a cave, you can meet in a field, you can meet in a backyard, you can meet under a tree, you can meet in the open, you can meet on the side of... Uh, the, the lake, you don't need a building, you don't need live stream, you don't need technology to have a church to preach the message, but you do need the Word of God and the people of God and the Spirit of God. 
So there were people in the first century that were beginning to question and they were beginning to miss their upbringing. We had the feasts and we had the festivals and we had the days and we had the high holy days and we did this at this season of year and we did that at that season of year. Have I really... Do you understand what I'm saying? And they began to look back kind of with longing of maybe I did... Maybe I need to go back to those old ways and those religious systems, but here's the problem. Nothing in those religious systems had the power to wash away the sins of people. There's only one thing powerful enough to wash away our sin, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews has an aim in mind. For those who are indecisive, for those who have heard the gospel, they've, they've come under the presence of the preaching of the word of God. They have come into a place of blessing, but they haven't yet pitched their tent under the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're still wavering. They haven't come all the way to faith. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, come on, come all the way to faith plant your life on the only solid ground there is, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. So I can ask that question now, 2,000 years later, where are you this morning? Are you familiar with the gospel? That's not the same thing as have you believed the gospel? Have you received the gospel? Have you entered through the straight gate, the narrow gate? And if you have, then your heart is concerned for those around you that they need to come through this gate. So the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to primarily an, Israel, an Israelite audience. They're familiar. They know the scriptures. They know the promises. They know the prophecies, but they haven't come all the way to faith. And now they're tempted to turn back. They're tempted to go back. And so if you read the book of Hebrews, you will see the theme throughout that Jesus is better. Everything pointing forward to Jesus, Jesus is a better high priest. He's a better sacrifice. He's better, he's better, he's the one we were waiting on. Peter reminded the first century believers, 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19, and he says, if, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile. Verse 18, knowing, so he's writing to believers, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. How were they redeemed from that? How were they ransomed with that? Peter says, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold. Verse 19, but in contrast to trying to do all religious works or buy your salvation or earn your salvation, contrast that, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Our hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. That's, that's our song. So the writer of Hebrews is compelling men and women, forsake your partial 
belief, your partial commitment. Forsake your unbelief and come all the way to faith in Christ alone for salvation. Whenever we go through a discovery membership class and we lay out what is different, what do we believe about salvation? It's that one word that we trust in Christ alone for salvation. It's not Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus membership, Jesus plus giving, Jesus plus anything. It's Christ alone for salvation. Today, if you have not trusted in Christ yet, maybe you're joining us online, I'm praying today is your day. Come all the way to faith in Christ alone. So why do we focus on Scripture then? Why is it Christ-centered preaching? Why spend so much time in the Word of God? Because Paul would write to the Romans, Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes from hearing and hearing through, how, how do we have the hearing? Through the Word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing what? The word of Christ. How will then people hear if they don't hear the word of Christ? This is why we, by God's grace, will keep and maintain Christ-centered preaching as the primary distinctive that we're known for. And everything else works out from that reality. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, follow along in your copy of God's word this morning. The writer says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Okay, so this is what he's been talking about all in this section leading up to this verse of people and their unbelief and they came all the way, but they didn't believe and they perished in Canaan and then they entered into Canaan, but it wasn't, they didn't stay there. Okay, so let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we're going to unpack this text. And from this text, these three verses, we're going to see seven characteristics of Scripture. And these seven characteristics cause us as a church, they drive us as a church to proclaim the word of God without apology. So it's not what we say about Scripture, it's what Scripture says about Scripture. Do you understand the difference? There are many people who twist Scripture, and we just came through that in the Sermon on the Mount, the false teachers, and they will try to add to, change, diminish, edit the message. We want to understand what does the Bible say about the Bible. Let's understand that, and then by God's grace, let's apply that. The first characteristic that we see, the word of God is divine. This word is divine. Verse 12 says, for the word of God. It's divine. This is a divine word that you hold, whether you're using an app, whether you have a Bible right there. This is the word of God. It is a divine word. And this is a common description in both Testaments. 
Both Testaments, Old Testament, many times we read in the Old Testament in the prophets where the word of the Lord came to, and then the prophet's name, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord. And a lot of times the messages that came from the Lord to these prophets were unusual messages of what would happen in the future, of what would happen in the near future, of what would happen in the end of times, uh, Daniel would interpret the dream that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, then what did the prophets do with this divine message? They declared it without apology. When the, when the word of the Lord came to, and you fill in the prophet, Micah, Amos, they would go proclaim it, this is what the Lord has said. Even though many of them were killed for it or persecuted for it, they still recognize this is the word of the Lord, and I am not to edit the message, but I'm to stand and deliver. This is what God has said. It's a common description, the word of the Lord, the word of God. God's word is distinct from man's word, and we have to understand this. It's definitely different. There are several reasons why the word of God is distinct. It's different. And this is what we have to discern between. Is this word from God? Okay, you have to do that in this message this morning. Is this message from God or is this something that Wise thought up this week? And he just came up with this message and here it is. Is this from his opinion, his ideas, his resources, or is this from God? And that's what you have to measure. Every podcast, every YouTube channel, every preacher, every message that you hear, every time we gather in small group, do we hear the words, well, I think, well, I feel, well, my experience, or do we hear book, chapter, and verse? This is what God has said. That's where we want to make the foundation. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we see the scripture is distinct because it's God breathed. Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is God breathed. So that's why we spend time in God's word. God's word is distinct because it's a divine authorship. Second Peter 1, Peter writes, verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Okay, so Peter is saying that the prophets and the apostles, they didn't, you know, Paul didn't sit on the ship and think, well, what do, what do I want to say? What's my message? The word of the Lord breathed out through the apostles, through the prophets, this is the word of God. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Same idea of a, of a ship and there are sails and the wind blows in those sails and the ship is moved that God by his spirit breathed out his word through the prophets and the apostles, and they have written down this divinely inspired word. Scripture's message is divine. That's why it's distinct. Paul writes, Romans 3 and verse 1, then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Verse 2, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. 
the word of God, the very word of God. And he spoke and he called out Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the years in Egypt and the word of the Lord and God met with Moses in the burning bush and said, I have heard my people and I'm sending you, Moses. And you go tell the ruler of the world in Egypt, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go. They're not your people, they're my people. All things are mine. It's a divine message. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.15, and how from childhood, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. All right, right now, there's, there's infant nursery and there's toddlers and there's next door and kids church and there are those who are doing this and parents and grandparents, you are doing this with your children. You're teaching them in a regular way the word of God. Why? What is the value of this? Well, Paul says to Timothy, this is, this is how you have been taught, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is how you know the one that we are waiting on. It's the word of God. And scripture carries with it divine authority, which is definitely, that's distinct from man's word. Haven't we heard human leaders, powerful leaders make promises that they can't keep? Even in recent days, bold promises, don't question me promises, but they can't carry out their word. So then the message begins to pivot. We hope to do this. We want to do this because every man, no matter how powerful you are, you realize at the end of the day, you can't guarantee anything. I will do this. We will do that. You're only able and I'm only able to do what we're able to do as long as we have breath and the ability to do it. When God speaks, it's divine authority. Mark chapter 7, and Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophet of you hypocrites as it is written? Now, that's, a, that's a great segue to your message. You hypocrites, let me talk to you. Let me apply the Old Testament to you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Beloved, that can happen so easily. Well, we've always done it this way. Well, this is the way. Well, this is the way I like tradition. And what's lost? The word of God. That's what often happens in heavily religious traditions. And Jesus says in John 12, we, we read this last week at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 48, the one who rejects me, all right, the one who comes with divine authority, with decisive authority, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Remember that scripture. John 12, 48. Verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, Jesus says, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, 
I say as the Father has told me. This word comes with decisive authority because it's divine. It's the word of God. And so it demands a right response. If it was just my word, weigh it out. Is it a good idea? Is it good advice or is it not? But when it comes as God's word, then it demands a right response. James 1 and verse 21, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Can I ask you again, have you obeyed that? Have you received with meekness when the word cuts, when the word offends? And I don't really like that. I don't think that's right. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sit well. But is it the word of God? Is it from the Lord? Then receive it with meekness because it is able to save our souls. This divine word deserves a place of priority in our lives personally and in the church corporately. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says, until I come, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That's the main thing. That's why it's at the center of the five distinctives. That's why it's number one in the list because there it is, it's, it's clear in scripture. This is the main thing. This is why we take the time that is necessary and we cover Old Testament books and passages and texts. And we take New Testament books and passages and lengthy segments, not just a verse here and a verse over there and a verse over there. And the people of God never are able to put the Old Testament together with the New Testament and see the story of redemption, God's plan of redemption throughout history. So Paul, when he met with the Ephesian elders that last time in Acts 20, this, this time of meeting, and they knew this is it. This is the last time we're seeing him. And he leaves with them the word. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, he says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Okay, there's corporate gatherings. There's small group gathering. If he was in a corporate setting, he's teaching. If he's in a small group setting, having dinner with someone, he's still on mission. That's what he's saying. Testifying, verse 21, both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? It doesn't matter what your nationality is. The gospel is where we're united. It doesn't matter what your skin color is or what you've experienced or not experienced. What matters is God is willing to forgive you. He loves you and he expressed it in his one and only son. And if you will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, this is where we can come to faith in Christ. The word of God, loved ones, is divine. It's a divine word. So it's distinct. It's divine. Number two, it's living. The writer continues in verse 12, this word is living. It's a living word. Well, it means it's alive. This word is alive. In the original language, that word, zeo, uh, zao, all right, Zoe, there used to be a group, Zoe, life. 
It's in the imperative position. In the original language, it was living for the word of God is. I, I love this when we went through Luke. Uh, John, the fa- uh, um, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. Remember, he doubted the angel's message to him. The word of the Lord came through the angel. You're going to have a child. And he said, what? This is impossible. He doubted the word from God. And so the angel said, here's a sign for you. You're not going to speak until this happens. And so he comes out and he's like, I couldn't finish my prayer. I can't talk. Can I have a writing pad? All the way to the end of the nine-month pregnancy, and there they are, and the, and the baby's delivered. Here's little John, the, the, the screaming infant, and there they are in the dedication, and they come to name the child. And Elizabeth says, John. And they said, what? You got no John in your family? What, what is this? And then they appeal to Zacharias, like, come on, you know, I, Ignore mom that just delivered the baby. What's the name, right? Zachy Jr., right? Zacharias Jr. And he says, give me the writing pad. And in the imperative, he says, John, his name is. It's the, there's an emphasis. And that moment when he finished and he turns it around, this is my answer. His tongue is loosed and he's able to offer the prayer that he's had to hold on to for nine months while he learned, while the Lord patiently taught him, don't doubt the word of God, trust the word of God. I do, despite what you believe or think, I do everything, everything that I say I will do. John, his name is, living the word of God is. This, is, this word is alive. This word is life-giving because that's what it is. It's a living word. And so therefore it comes with, with it, something happens because of it. It's life-giving. If you use a King James translation, it says the word of God is quick. But that doesn't mean it's fast. That's not the idea of what is going on. You know, I, I know as a child, I saw that the word of God is quick. I struggle with understanding that. It's, it's life-giving. It's not referring to the speed of this word, but its ability to give life. God's word is able to bring life to that which is lifeless, that which is dead. Jesus claimed to have words of life in John 6, 63. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, Jesus said. So the person is like, wait a second, wait a second. I have to have something to do with this salvation, right? I have this thing I've heard of called free will. So I'm part of this, right? And Jesus says, let me read it again. You can see it before you. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is zero, zilch, no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's the word of God. So then Jesus demonstrated, well, Jesus, we're not really sure what you're talking about. How does this happen? Well, we go to the tomb of Lazarus. He's been dead for, what, four days? He says, roll back the stone. Whoa, four days, Jesus. It's not going to be good. You can't do that, Jesus. Doubting the word of God. Do what I say. They roll back the stone. What does Jesus say? Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out. Jesus didn't waste any miracles. He didn't, you know, move the stone. There you go. Everybody impressed. That wasn't what he was there for. It was a sideshow. You, you can move a stone. You put it there. You move it. 
Notice that Jesus didn't waste a miracle on changing what he was wearing. Take him out of his grave clothes. You do that. Go examine what has just happened. You put him in there. Look what my word did to him. It's a life-giving word. Beloved, we cannot come to natural life on our own, and we cannot come to spiritual life on our own. We are absolutely in need of the word of God. And so Paul would write to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.1 that you were dead in trespasses and sins. And what can you do when you're dead? You can't do anything when you're dead. You have no, nothing to contribute when you're dead. And Paul is putting these, these, these terms in, in language to understand before you come to faith in Christ, you're spiritually dead. You do works of the flesh. But what happened, Ephesians 2 and verse 5, but he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. That, if you're in Christ today, it's not because you in your flesh did something amazing. It's because he in his grace and in his mercy and the power of the Holy Spirit spoke to you and gave you life. So where does all the glory and all the praise belong for my salvation and for your salvation? To the Lamb. It's to God that we've been given life to bring God's word to others because they're in need of hearing this message that brings life. This is a divine word. This is a living word. And this word, thirdly, is powerful. It's active. The ESV says it's an active word of God. It's a powerful word. At camp, they have a song, you know, God's word is powerful. And the kids all, you know, sing it, scream it at the top of their lungs. It's powerful. Some of them lose their voices singing this song, right? It's powerful and mighty. God's word is full of, the word there is energy. Energes. It's energy. God's word is life-giving. It's life-changing. It's, it's most powerful. Anybody running low on energy this morning? <laughs> Any, ever tried an energy drink? That'll lift you for a little bit, and it'll drop you, right? And then you get to have another one. God's word is energetic. It gives life. It is powerful. Hebrews 11.3, by faith, we understand that the universe was created, how? By the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Do you understand the evolutionist and the person who believes in creation we both have to take the account of the beginning on faith. Both perspectives require demand faith. An evolutionist does not want to be submitted to a creating God, a creator God, and so the belief is it just all happened. Everything came out of nothing somehow through an explosion and through events. So here we are. That requires a lot of faith. The creationist, taking a biblical worldview, says everything came out of nothing by the word of God. He spoke, and this is what it says, well, where'd you come up with this marvelous thing? So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, it was made by the word of God. So think about this, that God spoke and galaxies came out of his mouth, his word. 
that everything is positioned exactly where it needs to be. The sun, the distance to the earth, the orbits, the rotation, all of that we just uh, experienced at the Creation Museum a few weeks ago, all of this instruction and explanation of, do you realize how big this universe is? It all came out of the mouth of God. So when we're telling, when I'm saying worship this God, it's because he's worthy of our worship. He's glorious. I can't speak and galaxies come out of my mouth. I speak and it's usually, I need a breath mint or brush my teeth, right? Like that was not life-giving. That was life-taking if you don't deal with that. God's word is life-giving. It's full of energy. God's word is guaranteed, beloved, to be effective. I love this. It's effective. It's guaranteed to be effective. So there are times as a pastor when I think, man, of all the sermons that I've preached, 15 years, calculate that out. Somewhere on average, 48 to 50 sermons a year. A lot of times it doesn't seem like there's a lot happening. Planted a garden down there this year. Was watching that corn grow. I wanted corn out of that garden. You know what's going to happen to this guy? We're going to go buy corn at the corn <laughs> thing over there. Why? Because the deer and whatever animals... Whatever scraps of corn were growing on them scrawny things that survived all those high winds, they're just, they're just mauling it. They're just eating it. And I just go by it, and I'm like, you're welcome, whatever animals. <laughs> you're welcome. Pretty soon, all right, bring the tiller. And just poof, put it all under. Scrawniest little cucumbers growing out of that garden. Oh, my goodness. God's word is guaranteed to be effective. I make a lot of plans that don't really pan out too much. But God's word always hits the target. It always is fitting in whatever season we're in. So here we are as a, you know, in a global situation. Right now, this morning, the chaos that's going on in Afghanistan. The hurricane category four that's coming into the Gulf. Coming squarely where in the vicinity where Katrina came. People are heeding the warnings, I hope all of them, this time, and making their way to safety and making their way to shelter. You remember those scenes from the last time when Hurricane Katrina came in and people did not heed the warnings and the devastation and the lives lost? Isaiah chapter 55 This, these verses 10 and 11, they help instruct us. Why Christ-centered preaching? Why is that the main diet of the church? Here's why. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Here's where I take confidence, beloved. 
that when the word of God is faithfully preached, the voice of God is clearly heard. And the word of God is never wasted when it's shared with others. It's never wasted when I hear it, when I read it, when I study it, when I memorize it, when I meditate on it, and when I share it with others. It's never wasted. It doesn't always immediately produce the response desired, but God's word always accomplishes what he plans to accomplish with it. That when Isaiah the prophet thousands of years ago gave that message for us to hear that today, to be encouraged in that, I can't say that about anything. I'll be honest. I'm a little jealous of the farmer's field on the south side of 30 Mile. And I think, why don't the animals go eat one of his corn stalks? He's got like a millions of them out there. But they're over here on my one little scrawny row, just taking it down. Right? My plans, they look like that very often. That farmer is a better planner. He probably knows better what he's doing got some things to learn. God's word is divine, living, powerful. Fourthly, it's razor sharp. Razor sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's razor sharp. Any of y'all like working with knives, sharpening them? Mower blades, get them sharp, right? Razor sharp. You know, the little thing, you can take the knife and set it on the thumbnail, and if it holds its own weight, that's sharp. I've learned some of these things. Most of the time, I just cut myself better, right? And I go, oh, great. Good thing you got that so sharp. Listen, there's nothing dull about Scripture. There's nothing dull about the Word of God. There are no dull or unimportant verses in our Bibles. There are some verses that raise our eyebrows and catch our attention, and we think, that's in the Bible? Yeah. Song of Solomon's in the Bible? Yeah. No dull verses. You know who's dull? We are. Our minds are dull, slow to understand, slow to engage, slow to read. But the Word of God, there's nothing dull about it. When, when it says here that it's a two-edged sword, it, it actually means it's all edges. It's an all-edged sword. So this is my mission. Take the word of God and week by week, deliver it to the people of God, feeding the word of God, knowing and trusting that the Lord will accomplish everything that he has planned. So right now, we finish this series I mean, looking at going through a study in the small little book of Jude right before Revelation. Looking at where we're going to be in the Old Testament to engage maybe in a study of the book of Nehemiah. It's time to build. What do we learn from, from that book? Might be important in this day we live right now in this season to engage in a study of Revelation. We've done that on a Wednesday night. Say, well, what's coming? What are we expecting? Well, how do we need to be ready? The Word of God, it's our only offensive weapon. It's Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit. It's our chief weapon. There's nothing dull about the Word of God. If the sermon is ever dull, I'm sorry, it's me. It's not the Word of God. 
If we're ever sleepy when we're reading, it's not because the word is dull, it's because we're dull. We've put our time and energy in too many other places and we're not prepared saying, God, help me to understand your word. This is our chief weapon. This is the Roman soldier's chief weapon. It was that sword, about 16 to 18 inches in length. Primarily, it was used for close combat and it was razor sharp, it was deadly. So it is with the word of God spiritually. It cuts both ways. It convicts and it consoles. It comforts and it converts. It reveals God's law and it reveals God's grace. It justifies and it judges. It exposes our sin and it reveals our Savior who is able to cleanse us from, 1 John 1, 9, all sin. That's the word of God. An example of that, if you turn in your Bibles, go to Acts. Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, Peter stands up filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches this fiery message. The crowd is gathered. They, they hear this message. They're convicted by this message. And in, Hebrew, or in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, He draws it down to a conclusion, as every sermon ought to, and he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Okay, get this. He's talking to his countrymen. He's an Israelite. So he's saying, listen, everybody. You can know this for certain. Don't miss this. That God has made him, Jesus, that's who he's preaching, Christ-centered, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were two-edged sword cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same word that cut to the heart is the same word that cleanses and offers life in the name of Jesus. Amen? This is the word. It's convicting and it's cleansing. So this word is razor sharp. Number five, this word is piercing. It's piercing, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's piercing. It's a piercing word. It's not to be a piercing voice. You ever heard that where somebody's voice is just, oh, Wow, it's so shrill, so sharp. Maybe you have an animal that, dark, that barks and it's just, oh, it just gets on your last nerve. It's a piercing tone to the, to, the, to the voice or whatever. This word is piercing. Literally, it means coming through. It cuts all the way through to the inner and unseen part of humanity. What do we learn in the Old Testament that God said to Samuel, Samuel, remember he went out to David, you know, Jesse's house and one of his sons you're gonna anoint and 
Jesse brings all the brightest and the biggest and the, and the best that he saw as humanly. These are my guys. No, 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 no. Is that all your sons? Well, I got one scrappy guy. We left him out in the field. Go get him. And you remember what God says to Samuel? Samuel, you got to learn this. We all have to learn this. God doesn't look on the external like man does. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. That's where God focuses. How easy it is to get caught up in what somebody looks like externally and think you know it all about them. And I, I've got them all figured out. You ever been wrong on that? Oh, yeah. The Lord's never wrong. He sees the heart. He knows the heart. This word is coming through. How's your heart this morning? Not talking about your physical heart, although we're concerned about that. But your spiritual heart, how is your heart this morning? This word is piercing. And so this word demands priority, loved ones. We're to prioritize the importance of being in the word for ourselves. You've never heard me say this before, right? Yeah, no. It's a constant reminder. Are, are you heeding the reminder? Are you in the word on a regular basis, feeding and nourishing your soul? Are you under the word? I can see you here. I can't see everybody joining online. But to be under the teaching of the word in a systematic, faithful, regular way, not sporadic, not if I get around to it, but this is the priority of my week and of my life. And for us that God has blessed us with children or grandchildren, they ought to know this about us that God's word is not just at the center, Christ-centered preaching of a church, but it's at the center of our family. And all hobbies, athletics, all those other things that are not bad in and of themselves, they have to find their place submitted to the priority of the word of God. Or those other things will take over and easily be caught by our children as more important than the Word of God. So we have to prioritize the Word of God personally. We have to prioritize it as a church, that we're, we're trained listeners. Is that message scriptural? Is that message from the word of God, from the Bible. Can I read it? Can I study it for myself? Can I unpack this and imply, apply this to my life? And we are trained to hear because it's a priority. And as we prioritize it, we see this often, don't we? Then when we prioritize the word of God, what happens? Then we worship together. That's, that's number one. Here we are, we're worshiping together. Some are joining online, not feeling well today. Some are, are dealing with the virus today, and we're thinking of you and praying for you, and we miss you. We prioritize, we worship together, and there's something that's missing. Whenever somebody is isolated from the body for an extended period of time, then we're, we're missing them. They're missing us. They're missing the fellowship we worship together, we walk together, and this is what we're calling it. You heard it in the, even the introduction video today that small groups are, are going to be relaunching again, and this is where we, we come under that small group, under the word together in a small group setting, and we, 
we live life together and we pray for one another and we encourage one another. And so we are a church of small groups. It's not just a church and we have small groups. And if you think about getting, this is where our lives, we walk together and ultimately, simply we work together. We serve together. That if you're a member, there's a place in this body for you to serve. And if you are coming into membership, there will be a place for you to serve because there's no appendages that are unnecessary in the body of Christ. The Lord has designed his body, prepared his body, that every person, there's a place, there's a ministry, there's a need, there's an opportunity that you are here for a reason for this season of life. And so as elders, we say, Lord, help us to equip the saints for the work of the ministry because that's where the joy is. The joy is in serving the Lord, in giving back, in obedience Loved ones, this word is piercing. This word is, verse 13, a judging word. It's a judging word. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the judging word. There is no creature... We will never, ever, ever stand above this word. That's flipping it around where I'm in judgment of the word of God. Well, you know, I just don't believe that that's right. And if that's what, you know, God says, and if that's what, who God is, then I just can't believe in a God like that. People say that. It just won't ultimately last. It won't ultimately stand up in judgment. We'll never stand above this word. The original audience of Hebrews were probably very, very religious, but they were lost. They were unconverted. You remember, O Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, and Jesus didn't say, the teacher of Israel, if I could get him on my team, boy, that would really sell my discipleship and we could get more people. He said to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, the religious leader of Israel, you must be, two words, born again. Me? Yeah, you. Enter back into my mother's womb? No, you must be born again. And if you're not born again, unless one is born again, read it with me, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That sounds like a really narrow gate to me, doesn't it to you? That sounds like a really narrow way. Who is this Jesus that he can say, I have to be born again or I have no shot at being in the presence of God for all eternity. He's the living word. He's the powerful word. He's the judging word. He is Christ, God in flesh. We'll never stand above God's word, but God's word, loved ones, is forever in judgment over each one of us. His word is forever over us. The word for exposed here, no creature is hidden from his sight, but we're all naked and exposed. Okay, no, nobody really wants to ever have that happen, you know? 
to be naked in front of people. Like, oh, oh, it was a dream. Whew. Okay, but naked and exposed. This word exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This word exposed, it's the same root that we get, word that we get uh, the root for tracheotomy. It has to do with this area of your throat. And when, when a criminal was on trial, when it came to their sentencing, they would take a razor-sharp knife and that knife would go under that criminal waiting for sentencing so that they could not bow their head before the judge passing sentence on them. If they bowed their head, they cut their throat and they died there. So the, this, this razor-sharp, this... Ex- being exposed is lift up your head, sentence is about to be passed on you, and you must look up and receive this sentence. We're all open. We're all exposed before God. There will be no one in judgment that will just like, you know, as like, eh, no big deal, and, and we, you know, are we done with this already? Kids ever try that when they're in discipline? Like, Let's act like it didn't happen. Let's act like it was the brother, sister. Are we almost done? If you start getting, you know, tired of me, you know, running away from you, then you just give up on me and you'll stop discipline and you, you, I'll tire you out. I'll wear you out. You can't do that if a razor, I'm not suggesting this is parenting, okay? This is, this is not passing. But this is the idea that we're held before God. This is it. We're held to his word. We're held to the razor sharp word and not one person will just negotiate their way out, blaspheming Jesus Christ who laid down his life and came under the knife for you and for me, for our sin, not for his. It's appointed unto man to die once, and after this, the judgment, and no one will miss that appointment, loved ones. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. But, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that leads us to the final description, which is back to verse 11. This word is not just a judging word, but this word is a saving word. This word is a saving word. And this is where this message ends because I put verse 11 at the end with an invitation. This message ends on a positive note for all who are living let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So listen to the warning that's given here. Listen to the warning. In verse 12, it begins with for the word of God. It's a connection there, for. It's a connecting word. It's all connected together. All of this disobedience, there's an invitation. He's saying, learn from those who have gone before us. Learn from those who lived before us and they were disobedient and God's judgment fell on them. Don't dismiss that. Don't just, just move on to the next thing. Listen to that. Take account of that. Listen to the warning. I'm thankful people are listening to the warning down in Louisiana. They're getting out of harm's way this time. He's saying, listen to the warning. The writer was dealing with all that unbelief and all that rebellion manifested by Israel against God. And what happened? That whole generation died in the wilderness. And then they went in under Joshua and they weren't completely obedient to God when they got into the, into the promised land. 
And you see all of the accounts and God dealing with his people. And he's saying, listen. And they rebelled against God, even though they were given kings and they were put out into Assyria and they were put out into Babylon and Persia. They were exiled. But God isn't done with them. So listen to the warning, but then embrace the invitation. Embrace the invitation. Do you hear what he's saying? Let us. Let us therefore strive. He's saying, come on. Do you hear like an angry writer? You worthless people, you don't listen, you never listen. No, 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 he's saying, let us. This is what Jesus was doing in the invitation. He's saying, come on, come. He's inviting, let us therefore strive. It's another way for this writer to encourage people to enter at the narrow gate. But I can't bring all of my religious tradition and all my ideas and all of who I am and what I've done and what I've not done. No, you gotta leave all that. If you're gonna be converted, you have one song, Jesus is worthy. Jesus, the lamb was slain for me. I'm a sinner and I trusted in him and he forgave me and he saved me. So make haste. That's that word for strive. It's like, get on it. Don't delay. Strive to enter. Isaiah gave an invitation, Isaiah 118. Because this, says, well, if this is word is judging and there's an invitation, what do we do with our sin? This is our greatest need, loved ones. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Do you hear that invitation? Do you hear that invitation coming from Isaiah, the word of God? Come. If you're saying, what about my sin problem? What about my shame? Come to the Lord. And Jesus echoes this in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. And so we offer this message in every single sermon that is preached. Whenever the word is open, the invitation goes out. We offer this invitation without apology and we urge everyone. It's not, notice I'm saying we, it's not just me. If you're in Christ and you hear me saying this, you are in agreement and you're saying, yes, Lord, take this word and let it hit the heart. Let it sink deep into the heart of anyone who doesn't know you and let them hear the word and receive the word with meekness and believe in this word. And Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what's his promise? Rest, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, what do we need? Rest for our souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is a yoke? That's, those, that's that, that piece of farming equipment that puts two animals side by side, locked together to accomplish pulling a wagon, pulling a plow, and when Jesus says, come on, get in the yoke with me, who do you think is doing all the heavy lifting? I mean, that's like Ken and I helping Ethan, you know, mow the yard. Oh, thanks for the help. 
Who's doing the work? Yeah, but do you hear that invitation? Come on, go with me. And that's what Jesus is saying. Come to me. Have you come to Christ to find the rest for your souls? Look at, look at these seven characteristics. Can't we thank God for the word that we have been given, the word that people around this planet do not have in their possession in every country right now? Or even in their language? And we praise God. His word is divine, living, powerful, razor sharp, piercing, judging, and thank the Lord it's saving. You understand, we can take this and we can thank the Lord. We can pray this word right to the Lord and we will in closing this sermon, thanking him for this word that he's given to us. But how do we respond? How do we apply this? Can I ask you the question, do you love the word of God this morning? How do you love the word of God? Are you actively reading, studying, hearing the word, memorizing it, meditating, sharing the word? Can you... Can you just think on that for a moment and say, do I want this to be true in my life? Do I really love the word of God? Or is there some change that needs to happen? And the only other question is this, what is your next step to embrace and grow in obedience to God's word? How can we live out this word and share it without apology. That's what we're here as a church. It's not just me. Lord, help our pastor to be faithful to the word. Yes. Lord, help us as your people to faithfully proclaim Christ without apology. Can we help you take that next step? Let's stand together. Before we close in singing, the song we're going to sing is, Oh, Come to the Altar. What a fitting song. A fitting song after just hearing Jesus say, come to me. Father, thank you for your word. We return thanksgiving to you knowing your word is divine, Lord. Your word, it's the word of the living God. Your word is living and we thank you for that. It's active in our lives. We thank you that your word is powerful. It has changed many of us. It is changing many of us. It has the power this morning to change anyone who has not yet come to faith in Christ. And we would ask that that would happen even in this moment today. Your word, Lord, is razor sharp. It cuts all the way through and it pierces. And it is the judging word, Lord. And your word is saving and we thank you for your word. So change us by your word. And now, Lord, as Paul said to those Ephesian elders, I take your word and just lift this in prayer. I commend the people under the sound of my voice today, Lord, to you and to the word of your grace. Why is this the best thing to do, Lord? It's because your word is able to build us up and to give us an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So build us up, Lord, today by your spirit. Help us to hear, understand, and obey your word for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. 
please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.